Hello and welcome to Let Us Learn More, a podcast focused on produce industry education. As you know, we at the Packer put on a number of events each year and we wanted to preserve all the great information that comes from those educational sessions. This season of the podcast is focused on our Sustainable Produce Summit. So without further ado, enjoy the session. Good day. I'm Tom Karst, editor of The Packer, and here we are at the Sustainable Produce Summit with The Packer's uh, agenda full of uh, expert speakers. And today we're into retreat with Roland Fumasi. And uh, as he is going to talk about the economics of sustainability. Now, I've known Roland for years. He is a senior analyst with the fruit and vegetable and floriculture with Rabo Research Food and Agribusiness. Living in California, he has an extensive background in research with agribusiness and international markets and and also finance experience in the agriculture industry. Roland was raised on a dairy and farming operation in the Sacramento Valley and served as the California State FFA president before attending Cal Poly. Those are big credentials. I I can appreciate that. And uh, he, he received both his MS and BS in agribusiness at Cal Poly. Roland completed his PhD in Ag Economics at Texas A&M in 2013. So it's always a pleasure to hear Roland and uh, looking forward to your talk on the economics of sustainability. Roland, thank you so much. Tom, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the invitation to be a part of this inaugural event. Um, certainly the timing is critical and uh, I look forward to uh, actually listening to what uh, many of the others have to say during the conference. So appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this. So I'm going to go ahead and, and take you through uh, some thoughts here. Um, a couple points, even before I move off the title slide, you know, some people are thinking, you know, why does it say on the economics of sustainability? Is that a typo? No, that's what that, that's what we tend to use sometimes to recognize that, look, in the short time I have to spend with you today, we're not going to be able to cover all the aspects of economics and sustainability and those kinds of things. Um, but we're going to touch on some of the high level impacts. The other thing before I move on, I'll, I mean, I'll admit I probably spend too much time on my title slide than I should. Maybe everybody does that, I don't know. But um, I, I picked this title slide with, with diverse faces here today, recognizing that at the end of the day, that's really what sustainability overall is all about. And of course, we recognize that in the fresh produce industry that it's all about people. At the end of the day, not only our business relationships and the stakeholders that we deal with, but at the end of the day, the produce industry has done a tremendous job at enhancing the lives of people all over the world, uh, the customers that it has. So it, it really ties together nice. But at the end of the day, economics is, is a social science, and this is really all about people. So I want to start with a bit of an, it's an academic definition or a straightforward definition, depending on who you ask. And, but I, I think it's critical. 
And that is a reminder that there are three critical pillars to sustainability, environmental sustainability, social sustainability or social good, and then there's economic sustainability. And I, and I bring this up because I think a lot of times in the conversation, uh, when we hear the word sustainability and the way some people use the word sustainability, we automatically think about environmental sustainability. Um, but no one of these pillars is actually a sufficient condition for true sustainability. You have to balance all of these things out in the long run. Um, I'll give you a few you know, real, you know, real time, real world examples about how that works. Um, so let's let's look at let's think about economics as, uh, as that piece alone. Um, if you just focused on the economic piece and it was only about profitability, then of course you have you know some environmental degradation. Uh, you don't necessarily have enough social equity, and we're not moving people along together as we need to. Right? That's probably that's pretty well documented. But let me peel back the onion a little bit quickly. Um, and let's take environmental sustainability. If we were to focus on environmental sustainability alone, we would have a massive trade-off in social and economic sustainability, right? So, so when people focus on environmental sustainability, the equation gets a lot simpler, right? You, you, you just come in and you say, all right, this is the these are the types of foods that people need to eat around the world, and that's going to bring us environmental sustainability. The problem with that is that, one, the industries that are left out of that get crushed. So that doesn't lead to economic sustainability. And at the same time, you start to remove individual choice from the equation. And that significantly erodes so the social part of sustainability. So that's just one simple example. Right. So let's take social uh, sustainability for a second and say that there's a group or a person that's just focused on social sustain sustainability uh, and not focused on the other two. Uh, and I'll, I'll just throw out a hypothetical example. Let's say that somebody's proposing that that to have more social uh, sustainability, that the produce industry just needs to make sure everybody's making forty dollars an hour. Right. Sounds very, very simple, but obviously it's not, right? We would have major economic uh, consequences that would ultimately fall on the consumer, right? Beyond that, you'd have massive inflationary impacts that would impact everybody across the board. And think about that from an environmental perspective. Think about how much the demand for goods and services overall would increase if like a light switch, millions of people's incomes went up overnight, right? Positive in some regards, but if you imagine the environmental consequences of massive increase in demand for goods and services, the equation is much harder to balance. So my first point here is to understand the complexity of what true sustainability is. And we have to ensure that when we're communicating the message of sustainability, that 
we're thinking about all three of these critical components that you have to have. So certainly, I think one place to start in agriculture is to understand how far we've come. And I've put a few statistics up here uh, for global agricultural, agriculture generally. Um, and certainly the productivity in global agriculture, the growth in productivity has been tremendous, right? So we've been able to massively increase global agricultural production relative to the acreage that's being used. So that points to a huge success in the past at the industry of agriculture actually being more uh, environmentally uh, sustainable, if you will. And this is important to recognize because I think it's, it's very important as an industry, if I, if I just think produce for a second, that we start to really, um, to really gather and market the successes that, uh, that are out there over the years and how far the industry's come uh, in terms of both environmental and social sustainability. So there's a lot of positive things to talk about. And so that's my second point is let's recognize the successes we've had. And I think we need to do a much better job at marketing those successes out there, not just within the industry, but to, to more mass media so that things are picked up and the majority of our consumers get an opportunity to hear that, that success story. So if we're going to advance going forward, we kind of have to know where we are today and how far we've come. Okay. So while the agricultural industries really made some major strides, the equation's getting a little tougher to balance, right? And let's just look at that pin code here. And this shows global population. So today, we know there's, there's about 7 billion people in the world uh, with the majority of those people over in that Asian region. And we hear a lot about the fact, let me change the pen, that by 2050, we're going to be somewhere north of 9 billion. So that is a major challenge for, uh, for us being sustainable overall and, uh, and feeding the population. Let's roll it forward even to uh, the year 2100, where you see at least 11 billion people on the planet. So I do want to acknowledge we've come a long way, uh, but we've got some things that really complicate the equation, and a big part of that is population and income growth. Of course, you've heard the, probably heard the statistic that by 2050, we need to increase global food production by about 60%. At the same time, we're here to talk about overall sustainability, which has those other components. Food production has some major challenges, right? We don't have a, a, what we call a future-proof system yet. And some of the major challenges are around these four items I've listed here, nutrition, waste, the earth, right? For example, climate change, 
for climate variability and then stability, right? Stability gets to that social equity um, kind of aspect of sustainability. So when I think about these four things and I think of them in terms of the produce industry, I recognize the produce in, that the produce industry continues today and will continue to leave a lighter footprint on the environment and help bring more social stability globally. So that's the right-hand side. But I think, as I think about the produce industry's place in all this, probably the lower hanging fruit, no pun actually intended on that, but the lower hanging fruit for the produce industry to make major strides in global sustainability efforts, I think is in the left-hand side of this, right? Around nutrition, and around waste. The reason I call out nutrition is certainly when you, when you think about, for example, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, uh, not only do they have goals around environmental sustainability and social sustainability, but they have goals around people having healthful diets globally. And we know part of that prescription is for people to eat more fruits and vegetables. So produces, obviously, that's that's a, a, a cornerstone for them. Um, when it comes to waste, we recognize certainly that, you know, somewhere around a third of food is wasted globally. Um, when I think about developed country markets uh, like the U.S., for example, a lot of that waste occurs downstream. So it occurs at either retail or in the home. And we recognize that a lot of the food waste is around fresh produce because of the perishability of the product. So I think uh, when we think about sustainability overall, the fresh produce industry and, and making changes around food waste can really go a long way into, uh, into helping that challenge. Keeping in mind, when you reduce food waste, uh, you also have some positive social and positive environmental consequences to that. All right, moving along, I, I wanna introduce something that, that some of you may have thought about, others may not have thought about that of this, but when you think about sustainability overall, it creates multiple risks for those of you in the business, uh, in the value chain. Um, I'm actually going to start over on the, the right there and, and mention the one that's probably thought of most often, and that is the business risks associated with mitigation efforts, right? So changes in government policy, restrictions on input use, uh, res restrictions around um, uh, labor, minimum wage, things like that, that are mitigation efforts. And we talk a lot about those increasing cost of production and things like that. So I think that comes to mind pretty rapidly. But what may not come to mind as, rap as rapidly as that is that when you think about sustainability, there are actually business risks that are created by social and environmental issues. So think about increasing incidence of drought, for example, that has a major impact on your productive capacity and on your yields. That's an environmental example. Um, we recognize certainly that labor availability 
and the uh, the cost of labor continually uh, goes up for the produce industry, which is is very labor intensive, right? That's a that's a social consequence. Many of you watching this today, I'm sure, have lost employees to other industries because agricultural work is hard. Um, that's nobody's fault. That's a function of the types of products we produce. But just because it's no one's fault doesn't mean we can't come up with viable solutions. So just be aware of this other risk out there that is coming more and more to the forefront all the time. And that's the risk to your business based on this environmental and social uh, lack of sustainability that exists out there. And I'll, I'll kind of hammer this home one last time. This is, I'm actually going to read this quote. This is actually coming from the, uh, the Climate Related Market Risk Subcommittee of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. It just came out within the last week, and I, and I found it interesting. Um, and it's around this increase in risk that you face because of climate variability, right? The central message of their report is that the U.S. financial regulators must recognize that climate change poses serious emerging risks to the U.S. financial system, and they should move urgently and decisively to measure, understand, and address these risks, right? So now we're talking about the financial services industry because anything that adds risk to your businesses in turn then adds risk to the financial services firms that serve you and of course, then you have potential risk on the entire financial industry because you have risks that are outside of agriculture as well. So, so this really kind of crystallized it for me. Bottom line is at the top of this slide, business risk equals risk to the financial system. And when you have more risk to the financial system, that can create even more business risk, right? So the cost of capital, things like that to account for risk. So this is one we've got our eye on. And this is this, this is something that I think everyone should be aware of. OK, let's get into a little more formal economics for a second. Um, and and uh, I've tried to make these slides very clear. I, just, I, I didn't want to put up a bunch of supply and demand graphs. Uh, that, that I didn't want to put anybody to sleep with that. But let's look at the market level economics of change. So what I mean by change is the industry players adopting different strategies or different technologies in order to try to be more sustainable. And again, when I say sustainable, I'm talking about overall sustainability, the three pillars. Okay. Um, so uh, to, to illustrate this, I'm going to kind of walk through the perfect example for fresh produce, and that is the organic produce uh, part of our industry, right? And, and I, I want to recognize that by many, many people out there, not everybody, but by many people, the certified organic standard is recognized by many as representing something that's more environmentally sustainable, okay? That's that's 
that's uh, what's going on in the marketplace. So let's kind of look at what's happened the last few years. And I think this illustrates how uh, these changes kind of permeate through the market. So if we were to roll back, say, five years ago, uh, we had significant increases in demand for organic produce. And at that point in time, by and large, um, the supply growth was lagging a bit. Now, granted, the general consumer out there wasn't necessarily opting in for organic, but there was still a section of consumers out there that really, really wanted organic and would be willing to pay more for it, right? A relatively small group of consumers. But because supply growth hadn't occurred uh, to a large extent at that point, uh, demand exceeded supply and we had uh, very good premiums in the organic produce space. So it paid to make the changes necessary on farm and in the value chain to meet that growing demand uh, because you were being uh, readily compensated uh, for, uh, for those changes. Now, fast forward a few years, we have massively increased our production on the supply side of organic produce. And now the demand growth is not what it used to be. So now the supply growth has outstripped the demand growth and we've had major downward pressure on those premiums for organic production, right? So that doesn't mean that more people aren't eating organic products because we're certainly supplying more. It just means that supply and demand have gotten a bit out of balance. Um, and so those premiums have come under pressure, right? So this is the challenge. So producers that were in early on this were able to reap some, some good rewards for being on it early. Now, in the longer run, what's likely to happen in the marketplace is we will continue to increase our supplies. Retailers, food service will continue to demand more um, and we will push more of it out to consumers. So partially consumer driven and really partially value chain, value chain driven. Um, on the supply side, though, we know that we'll continue to drive down the cost of production as organic production becomes more, more pr predominant, right? So ultimately, at the end of the day, and, and we'll play this game every so many years or maybe every year that supply is outstripping demand, demand is outstripping supply. But in the longer run, I think where we'll settle is there'll be a lot more organic supply out there but we'll be able to deliver it at a lower cost, which is fair for everybody. Um, and so ultimately, as more people do it, you kind of you squeeze out that excess benefit, but you also bring down the cost and you get to an equilibrium. So that's, that's how things play through in the marketplace. All right, now let's let's think about firm level economics of change. Again, making changes that might contribute to greater global sustainability. This is a 30,000 foot view. Um, ultimately, what it is all about at the firm level is identifying and quantifying the benefits and costs. And these aren't all the benefits and costs. 
but uh, but I've listed some of the ones that really come to mind. And my point here is, I, I, we really need to think like chess players. So we need to think three, four, five stages kind of ahead as we think about the costs and benefits. So certainly the benefits are not always gonna outweigh the costs. It depends on the technology, it depends on the individual um, firm, um, it depends on you know, what management practices you're trying to change, et cetera, et cetera. So this is just one example of thinking here. So let's start on the cost side. I think these are the things that come to mind uh, quite often. Uh, when you're going to make a change around sustainability, right? Increased investment. So sometimes it's a, it's a change in, uh, in capital infrastructure. Uh, sometimes there's an increase in yield risk, certainly as you make changes to try to be more sustainable. Uh, and then, of course, uh, oftentimes there's an increase in, in your variable costs when you make some changes. So those are the kind of straightforward costs that come to mind. And now let's take a look at some of the things on the benefit side, okay? Now I'm gonna delineate between short-term and long-term here. So I want us to put on our short-term thinking caps uh, first and foremost, right? So in the early stages, when not everybody's adopting a technology, we live in an environment today where you may be able to get a higher price, a premium for those more sustainable practices that, uh, that you're employing. So that's a potential benefit. But then there are some other things in today's environment. In today's environment, having that sustainable story to tell might actually be your foot in the door to getting a customer or not getting the customer if you're not doing those things, right? That's, that's where things are moving today. That's becoming more critical. Um, it might allow you to control more shelf space. If you're a broad line supplier, for example, that has non-organic, organic, and many, many different options, then you can be that, that captain for that part of the shelf. So there are some advantages there. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these, but I want to point out a couple things you'll notice is that I actually have less yield risk on both sides. Right. In some cases, being more sustainable might actually decrease your yield risk. When I think about water use, if you come up with a production system, maybe it's a change in genetics, maybe it's a change of practices, maybe it's the implementation of, of technology um, and you can run your operation and use less water on a regular basis, then you may have less yield risk in years when we're in drought conditions, for example. So I wanna, I wanna point that out. Um, the other thing I have on both sides is a decrease in variable costs, right? There are certain things we can do if we dial in input use in a more sustainable way that actually may decrease our variable input costs. So again, this is a very simplified version um, but uh, but this is the kind of thinking, kind of layered thinking, kind of like a chess player, like I said, that you have to kind of continue to peel back the onion. I will say this. Traditionally, um, agriculture is has many, many participants that are slow adopters, slow to change. So you've got the early adopters, 
that come in, they try out technology. Once all the wrinkles are worked out, uh, then you have some massive adoption. Then you have some late adopters. I think in today's environment, especially around environmental and social sustainability, that there are some big advantages to being a first mover um, uh, in today's environment. I'll give you one quick real world example. We know that um, there have been uh, some major advancements in the uh, increasing shelf life for produce, right? And there are a few different types of technologies that are really designed to increase shelf life, which of course then would lead to less food waste, right? Back to the food waste part of sustainability. So you think about this technology, let's take it through this, this peel back the onion kind of thinking or chess player kind of mentality for a minute. So you go, okay, in the early stages, if I'm an adopter of something that increases the shelf life of my product, okay, what are the initial consequences are going to be, are going to be? First, you're going to reduce food waste. All right, so we can check that box. At the same time, you're likely going to be increasing your variable costs, right? You're using some type of technology, which is not free, to increase shelf life. Now, at the same time, if there's less waste at retail and in the home, then you would expect lower shipments, right? If there's less waste, maybe shipments go down. Things are lasting longer. Okay, so that's kind of the initial stage, but let's take it one step further. Now you've reduced the shrink, the loss on the product you're shipping. So you're increasing the profitability of your food service customers and your retail grocery customers. Right. That probably leads to more shelf space for your product more sales for your product, and those retailers and food service operators are going to lean toward using your product. So all of a sudden now, the demand for your product shifts out. So wait a minute. For that reason, now you're shipping more, right? So that's a demand increaser. Uh, at the same time, consumers have less waste, and maybe they have a better eating experience because the product is staying fresher longer. Huh another shifter of demand out there to help make up for the fact that there's less waste, right? So that's kind of how things play out in the short run. That's just an example. Now, over time, as all that takes place, more and more people adopt that technology. At that point, as that happens, then the cost of that technology and the cost of implementing that technology starts to go down. And of course, the differentiation that you're getting by being a first mover starts to decline, but so do the costs. And in the long run, when you have mass adoption of technology like that, the everything balances out on the costs and benefits side, except for the fact that you've moved consumer demand. And that is likely a permanent shift. So that is what falls out as a positive long-term net effect. All right. I'm going to take you real quickly to kind of put a, a bit of a 
pinpoint on this a little bit, something that I think it's general, but it's actionable. This is the way we think about sustainability, 6M plan. Starts with mapping. In other words, know where you are today, know what types of impacts you're having. Um, at that point, then you can make clear choices, put together a plan, start to implement that plan. Uh, we know we have to do better job at standardizing and measuring um, some of these aspects, uh, particularly around um, climate change, for example, and uh, carbon emissions uh, and carbon sequestration as well, which is an opportunity for agriculture. At that point, you manage the change. You continue to monitor the impacts economically uh, of that change. And then very importantly, make your successes public, right? So we certainly have a long way to go when it comes to making our successes available to the general public. I'm starting to see some major improvements of that, though, just this year. Uh, some of, of our industry organizations, um, we, I can say we at Rabobank as a financial institution, we're doing a better job at showcasing what some of our clients are doing. Uh, industry participants are doing a better job overall of showcasing those things. So that's critical of critical importance. All right. Kind of my last point today, I'm going to leave you with, a, a, I think, a positive aspect. Um, I'll end with two very familiar faces, right? That's, that's a joke. Uh, many of you might recognize the face on the right, but probably not the face on the left. Um, and I do want to make a shout out and a thank you to my colleague, Nick Faraday, for, uh, for providing these, these slides here. He's more creative than I am. So who are these folks? You probably recognize Thanos on the right. Uh, from the Avengers movies. Uh, the gentleman on the left is Thomas Malthus. Thomas Malthus, and some of you will recognize what he, what he originally did 220 years ago, but he was kind of the pioneer in, in publishing this idea that we have no way of sustaining our massive population growth. There's not going to be any way we're going to be able to feed a uh, this growing population. Well, that was 220 years ago. And you can see some other examples culminating in Infinity War, uh, which is that Avengers movie, where the premise was the same, that 50% of the population needed to go away because the earth could not sustain it, right? So for 220 years, we've had ongoing pessimism about how we're going to tackle uh, these types of challenges. And for 220 years, we haven't been perfect, but we're still here. We've been able to get the job done pretty darn well. Uh, we've got some major strides to make going forward. But when you think about this, that we've been able to tackle many of these challenges for over two centuries, uh, I have a lot of faith and I know that we're going to be able to tackle uh, the, the complicated equation of sustainability from all three of those critical angles that I mentioned earlier. So I thank you for your time, and I look forward to, uh, to trying to answer your questions uh, here. 
Thanks again for listening to this great content from our Sustainable Produce Summit. We hope to see you at our next event. Remember, we've got West Coast Produce Expo, the Global Organic Produce Expo, and the Sustainable Produce Summit all as part of the roster. And of course, you can always read our reporting on thepacker.com and producemarketguide.com, along with our weekly newspapers and magazines every other month. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Let Us Learn More podcast.